My name is Will Small, and I'm trying to become the man my kids need me to be. To my fellow men, I think we've all got some work to do. What if it's time to rebuild what we call manhood for the sake of ourselves and the generation growing up behind us? It's not always easy talking about the real stuff, but we can't afford not to. So let's get into it. This is the Mankind Podcast. Do you know what the leading cause of death for Australian men between the ages of 15 and 44 is? Suicide. Over 3,000 Australians die from suicide each year, and around 75% of those are men. Here on the Central Coast, the suicide rate is actually higher than the New South Wales average, with approximately 50 deaths a year, about one a week. It's not easy to talk about. But how can we hear stats like these and not talk about it? And the truth is, talking about it is one of the biggest things we can do to help turn this around. I was privileged to be able to sit down with Gus Warland and have an open conversation about what led him to become someone on a mission to bring about zero deaths by suicide. You might know Gus from his successful radio career or from the ABC doco Man Up. For Gus, The answer to this enormous problem of suicide is to help people build mental fitness. He founded Gotcha for Life, a non-profit foundation that helps people to build the social and emotional muscle to withstand the challenges life throws at us. Gus describes suicide as death by loneliness. And this is why Gotcha for Life's focus on building healthy connections and mental fitness is so powerful. I believe just listening to this conversation could be a game changer for some of us, reminding us how important those little calls, text messages, and catch-ups with our mates can be. So listen up, share this around, who knows, might even help save a life. Gus Walland, I'm so stoked that you're sitting here to have a conversation with me today. Thanks so much for making some time. It's an absolute pleasure. Awesome. So how do you normally introduce yourself? If you're meeting someone for the first time, how do you share a little bit about who you are, what you do? I actually did started a course today at 5am um, in terms of meditation because I've w- always wanted to try it and I've had this old-fashioned view that it's not for me, but I've never really gone any deeper than that in asking that question. So within that little questionnaire that I got this morning, they said, you know, occupation or what do you do, a question like that. And I actually just wrote... Talker. And that's the first time I've done that. Normally I write TV or radio personality or I write, um, you know, Triple M radio or something like that, which might define me. But I think what I really am now is a communicator, a talker. Um, and that's the way that I best sort of do my work. I've always been one of those. And now I, I get to do it for fun and I get to do it for, I think, probably the most, you know, important reason moving forward is building mental fitness amongst Australian men initially and then hopefully letting men all around the world know that it's okay to bumble through and not have all the answers. Yeah, awesome. I might steal that because I often get a bit <laughs> stuck when I see that box of yeah. how do I how do I put myself in that box? I have yeah. no idea what I am. Yeah. Uh, and you've got a family as well, obviously yeah. very passionate about your family. Tell me a little bit about your context there. Yeah, so I, I actually went on my gap year. A few of us went across from school and I met this girl and for 
a couple of years we sort of bumbled around in the dark. This is 1987, 1988, you know, no mobile phones, no internet and so forth. So once she went back to England, it was writing letters and so forth. And I wasn't sure if it was for real, but eventually the feelings just wouldn't go away. So I went back to England three years later and and um, I asked her to marry me the first night that I saw her again. Wow. Um, she just laughed at me. In fact, she told me to F off. <laughs> um, but about a month later she said, well, why don't we at least date and see where we go. And that was 30 years ago and we've got three beautiful children, got a son, Jack, who was just 21 last week and then Ella who has, you know, been robbed of her European worldline adventure. She got as far as Japan into Uh, Europe for about a month and then everything shut down on her with COVID. So she's a very frustrated 20-year-old at the moment. And then my third daughter, Abby, you know, Abby is now just enjoying year 12 for what it brings. She was at a school that wasn't good for her uh, and then she left there and she's singing again now. She's dancing again now. She's got a good group of mates and I know you've got two young sons. Once they become an age where you you can feel their pain, Mm. you just want to take that away from them and you can't do it. You've got to let them go through stuff. And just to see Abby come out the other side and now she's doing year 12 and, you know, she's just hoping the world opens up so she can have mm. her adventure next year. So, yeah, wife and three children. We we lost twins before we had Jack and then we lost twins after Abby. So oh, wow. we, we could have had a huge, huge family. Um, mm. But uh, we're very happy with, with, with our lot. Mm. Yeah, awesome. All right, I want you just to cast your mind back when you were a kid growing up. What do you think were kind of the messages that you internalised about what it meant to be a man? Well, my father was reasonably absent. He was one of those dads that, you know, had a, in inverted commas, a high-powered job. So when they went overseas, they'd go for three or four months because once they were there, there wasn't that lot of sort of flying back and forth. So my mum was very strong um, and she was someone that I looked up to and she was the the go-to, if you like. And when Dad came home, it was just an excitement machine. There was always presence. There was – he was a classy-looking bloke, good-looking guy. He had presence. Um, and we, uh, when we knew Dad was coming and we heard the car or the taxi or something like that, it was like excitement town at, for my brother and I. And Sounds a bit like Santa Claus. Yeah, it really was. And it was three or four times a year and then he'd be with us for a week and I remember just swimming in the pool with him or just showing him, you know, Dad, I've done this or Dad, I've done that or, you know, can you bowl to me, Dad, because I love my cricket or, can you know, can you kick some goals at me because I was a goalkeeper. I, I just wanted to be around him. And then, of course, he was then gone again. So to me, it was very similar to a lot of my mates where they – you know, we went to a privileged school, so a lot of the dads, I suppose, were working high-powered jobs and we've got a really good group of mates from school and we all love each other's mums. It's like all the mums sort of, you know, tag-teamed and looked after a whole mm. bunch of us. And I remember in our street in particular, um, there was mainly mums and dads were always not around. Um, for me, that was disappointing, a little bit sad, and eventually dad, you know, did leave and by the time I was 12, it was just mum, my brother and I. And he was a little bit older, my brother, so he was already up and at him and not quite as emotional as me, so he probably just got on with it better than I did. And so then it became every second weekend, you know, going to dad's house, you know, and that's always eating out. It's always going somewhere. It was exciting to sound it, but really what I wanted was mm. to have my whole family back together again. So that really formed, I suppose, something in my mind around, you know, commitment and and working through stuff and not giving up on things and that, mm. that type of stuff. So um, 
the long-winded answer, I suppose, but that no, gives you a helpful. bit of context to where I, you know, where I look at it from. Yeah, and so a lot of your work has become around, yeah, just like interrogating and maybe challenging some of those old scripts and stories and models of manhood that we've been given individually and collectively. A hundred percent, and I suppose I didn't really look at it properly because you just get stuck in a in a way of doing things, and then. Once the Man Up program was made, I started to look at everything differently. You know, how I bring up my son, how I look after my male mates, how I'm a better husband or, you know, how I father my daughters and now their boyfriends because I used to say, oh, I'm going to have the old shotgun on the porch, you know, with these young boyfriends come around and it's just nonsense. You know, it's like (laughs) I brought up my two daughters. They know exactly what they're doing. They're not going to bring home anyone that they think is, you know, anything but a nice young man. So embrace and make them feel comfortable and give them the best chance of working stuff out. So I've certainly changed my opinion and the way that I am and I think I'm a better person with all the stuff that I've learned from mm. from man up. But yeah, let's let's challenge every single rule that was built so long ago. Yep. Right now. Uh, we know more stuff now, so we should be changing the rules all the time, you know. Yeah, 100%. A key catalyst moment in your story um, was the loss of a good mate of yours or a mentor of yours to suicide. Just wondering if you'd be able to share, as much as you feel comfortable, a little bit about what that did in you and just, yeah, some of that story. Um, His name was Angus as well. So even though I'm Gus, um, you know, I'm Angus, he's Angus. He was called Big Ang. I was called Little Ang just by people around us and stuff. And I, I, I adored him. He was 10 years older than me. He was married to my cousin when we did year 10 work experience I went and worked with him at his school he was a teacher at the time and then he left teaching and got into laptop sales there was a huge IT burst there and I got on top of that with him so not only someone I loved and looked up to all of a sudden he's actually creating wealth for me and opportunities and a career and that got me an opportunity to get a mortgage and buy a house and so he was just instrumental in everything and I just I loved him and I went to him when I had personal issues. I went to him when I had business issues. He always came up with a fix. He was the fixer. And I think now that I'm looking back at his life, I probably realised that he couldn't ask for help because that would have taken away that little bit of shine that he thought that he had, which was the fixer. So why would the fixer ask for any help, you know? He didn't want to lose that sort of feeling. And it's just so sad we had... 1,200 people at his funeral and not one of us had a clue that, that he was sad and that he was worrying alone and that he was in pain. Um, and, you know, the, the night that his third and final child, Henry, finished his HSC, he took his own life and I've never really prop, truly recovered. However, since Man Up and then since the work with Gotcha for Life, I feel now that he's probably, you know, if there is a God up there, he's looking down going... Good on you, mate. You've, you've done something positive out of this and you're saving some lives. And, you know, I just wish I could have saved him. Mm. Yeah, well, obviously no one would wish that situation on anybody and you must have thought many times if you could go back, you know, what you could do. Mm. But in terms of what you have done out of that situation in, in generating a conversation, it's the absolute best that could come out of something terrible, I guess. Mm. So man up, if people haven't seen it, go watch that instead of listening to this. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, You can watch it on ABC iView. 
Um, funny, I was thinking when you said before that you woke up this morning and did a meditation thing. You're obviously pretty comfortable putting yourself out there in the show. You're, you're on ships with Navy guys. You're doing naked yoga at one point. <laughs> you're out with the cowboys having a muster. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, as you look back on that show, which is really about exactly what we've been talking about, how do we kind of challenge some of those outdated rules? How do we help guys talk about how they're feeling? How do we tackle this enormous problem of uh, of suicide what are some of the key moments or learnings or stories even that just rise to the surface for you as you think back on that experience I think for me it was it started off being a bit of a job and I thought okay well I'm going to fit that in around my breakfast radio stuff and you know I'm going to find out some information on perhaps why Angus took his own life we had 65 days of filming locked in I reckon about day 15 I went this is not a job anymore this is, this is something more than that. And, in fact, that was a good thing because at about day 45 we ran out of money and we had to do the last 20 days without any funding. And we looked at each other as a crew and we went, right. And I, I tear up thinking about it now because we all sort of stood around and went, what is, what is this show going to mean to us? Do we just want to, like, we can tie this up now and we can edit it up. We've got a little bit of money for that and, and, and it'll be fine. But do we want it to be fine or do we want this to be a real statement, something that we can be really proud about? And everyone just agreed, right, we're in. So the crew just locked it in and that was a very, very mm. emotional moment for all of us because we were all on this journey together then. It wasn't just a job for anyone. And, you know, you work in this industry, it's not easy to work hard for 20 days and not be paid, mm. you know. So I knew Huge. that everyone was in. So that was fantastic. And I suppose we're making television we're trying to make it entertaining we're trying to get across a message so we needed to make sure that we gave it the right respect and that's what I loved about this particular show is that we respected the the old school but we really challenged it with dignity around Mm -hmm. masculinity and why we lose so many blokes and unfortunately the numbers are the numbers the stats are the stats and there's no way that anyone can argue those with you so it had to be made and the thing that's really sad and that I can't make another one for whatever reason, I just can't get anyone to support mm-hmm. another man up. There should be a follow-up to that. It's the number one way to die now if you're an Australian male. We've just had the pandemic. We've got so many people at the moment asking questions, so many people wanting to have the conversation. Awareness has never been better. We just don't have enough action that goes in behind it. So we should really, mm. like the ABC should be going, this is the number one priority um, for half the population. If you need to know how to make a spag bowl anymore, like there's 20 different ways <laughs> to do it. There's, it. Like we don't need any of those shows anymore. Like they're all fun and I get it. And I'm not knocking those people for doing it and I understand why they do it, but we need to start having some uncomfortable conversations and we need mm. to have them on our national broadcaster. Yeah. I remember you talking about in the show, it's sort of like why is, it, why is no one talking about this sort of mm. huge number, 2,000 men a year taking their life and a whole, whole range of other statistics. But it seems like at that base level, men have been prone to isolation in some sort of unique way, in a way that maybe women don't struggle with in the same way. And I remember one of the things that actually stood out to me in the show was, you know, women may attempt to take their life the same amount of times, but because of their communication, people spot the signs and intervene more often. Men are isolated, so when they have an attempt, there's a higher chance of success, which is a very scary thought. What do you think have been the main things that have contributed to that isolation in men? Why do you think men grow up and become 
kind of lonely in the crowd? It's a, it's a very good question and I think the answer is it's a stereotype that we live, try to live up to, this sort of Aussie man that can take everything on and don't worry about me and I don't want to be the whinger in the group and I'm just going to be able to handle stuff. And also because we don't communicate about stuff that's important – Whereas if we did, you'd find another bloke go, you know what, I don't know if I can cope with this or, you know, mate, or, oh, that was how I felt three months ago, but this is what I did and everything's okay again now. Mm. We don't have those discussions, so we just think everyone else is nailing life. Everyone else is sort of going along pretty well and we don't want to drag anyone into our crap, so we just don't do it. We just live in banter. It's where we're comfortable. We're not out of control. We just don't like being out of control, so we just don't go there. So we need to learn the words to have the conversation that could save our life one day. And that's the type of work that we do now at Gotcha is promoting the prevention rather than dealing at the crisis point. And, you know, I love Lifeline and I did their annual launch the other day and I said I want all of you out of business inside the next year. Mm. And everyone cheered, you know, because we don't want anyone on those phones anymore. We want people to be talking to each other, to their friends, to their family, their contacts, that sort of stuff, not having to ring up Lifeline. I mean, they're getting the amount of calls that they get is just out of control. And mm. we should be really worried in this country that, we're, that those numbers are going to go even higher now that the welfare tap has been turned off and everyone's going through a very tough time. 2020 was awful. 2021's not going to be that much better. This is the time where we have to be building mental fitness. I call it mental fitness because I think it's just like your physical fitness. It's something that you can work on. They're the type of words and they're the type of ways that I like to talk about it in a more positive manner and that gives us a chance to think, you know what, there's a solution there that we can work towards. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. The mental health conversation has obviously increased in recent years, which is great, but there's still that connotation around mental health is about deficit, it's about negative, it's about a lack of health. Yep. When you talk about mental fitness, I, I came across that in some of your work and I hadn't really heard that before, but I thought that if we're going to talk about mental unhealth or mentally ill health, we've got to talk about how we grow mental muscles and how we develop that yeah. mental fitness. That's it. It's emotional muscle needs to be built to get your mental fitness up. And if you talk to young kids like that, they get it. So if I want to get on the cross-country team at school, I've got to stop eating this type of food, get off the grog, not have any ciggies and move. Okay, well, what's the stuff that I need to do to get mentally fit? Well, there's exercises for that as well. So mm. um, we all need to learn these lessons, but, you know, let's educate the youngsters so the next generation, like your two sons, your grandsons are actually coming home and going, it's okay to talk about stuff outside of banter and it's all right to be honest and vulnerable mm. rather than just, oh, I just want to tell granddad what granddad what I think granddad wants to hear. Yeah, 100%. I want to loop back to that mental fitness stuff in yeah. a moment. But before that, you know, we're talking about the isolation sort of piece. And it seems like you've got some really tight friendships. It seems like you've got that close-knit group of gotcha for life yeah. mates. Yeah. Have you always had that or where did that come from? And how does that um, sit in the space of your life? Kind of tell me a bit about the role of that group of friends. For me, I've got a really close bunch of mates. We walk together, we talk, we've got a WhatsApp group. Technology is wonderful to keep everyone sort of in the loop. Um, my group of mates and the role that I play in it probably is just as important is the ringleader to a certain degree, like um, having a bit as much fun with that sort of leadership role as possible, but someone has to take responsibility for it and say, look, I, I, I want us all to love each other and I want us all to stay connected and I don't want anyone to be worrying alone. So what you want to do is have a, have a group of mates where people can talk about how they truly feel. 
And I'm not talking about sort of bursting into tears every five minutes or having a deep and meaningful conversation every time you talk, but it's having the right relationships within that group for you to be able to go, you know what, I'm actually going a little dark. I'm going down a rabbit hole here and I need your help. And uh, one of my mates actually the other day rang me and said, mate, I've been the last two Sundays for a walk and I haven't been in good form and no one's picked up on it, you know. It's just been assumed that I'm okay because I'm there and I'm like, yep. And he goes, well, that's not what we're about. I go, no, that's exactly what we're about. Us blokes not great at picking up on other, other people's stuff. It's about someone feeling it and then having the guts to go, you know what, I'm manning up and speaking up and telling someone how I truly feel. That's what we need to move forward with. Not so much everyone scouting around your group of friends, making sure everyone's okay. Of course we do that as good friends. But what you really want is someone to come up to you and say, hey, you know what, I've had the mask on. I've been bullshitting everyone for ages. I'm actually not travelling very well. That's when you're truly mentally fit is when you're actually having that type of conversation. So that's what we're trying to do and that really comes down to honesty, vulnerability and leadership through vulnerability rather than this leadership through beating your chest and everything's okay and she'll be right. It's actually taking the mask off and being Mm. vulnerable. That to me is a much harder conversation than just bearing your emotions all the time. Mm. I um, am interested, you know, you sort of mentioned there that you kind of play that ringleader sort of role that, that in some ways is the catalyst for that group actually existing in the form that it does. I imagine, could be wrong, but just taking a guess, the kind of people that are going to listen to a podcast about evolving forms of masculinity are probably more likely to be that person in their group of friends if they're switched on enough to be thinking about how do we have a conversation around manhood. So to anyone listening to this who potentially is or could be in that ringleader role, what would you say about how they can actually own that, step into that and create that kind of environment with their group of mates? Yeah, go for it. Too much time is being spent worrying about stuff. Just go for it two or three mates, five or six mates, whatever it might be, take that leadership role and just be open, honest and vulnerable up front and say, you know what, guys, I love you guys. I don't want to ever go to your funeral and, until we're like 80 or 90 and, we, and we've all lost our marbles together. I want the next whatever it is together for us to be able to feel a really safe place and I want to build that for you and I'm going to build that because I need it and the reason I need it. And then have those type of conversations. It changes from banter immediately and everyone goes, wow, what's this all about? It's about just having a go and not hiding behind anything and saying, this is why I want to do it and I love you. I, I do this thing with corporates. I've done it three times this week already where I get people to send texts to people they haven't spoken to in a while and I say, I love you in the text message. Now, people cringe, right? They're like, oh, my God, I don't want to do that, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as they send the text, you wait the responses either, are you pissed, are you <laughs> drunk or was this for me? They're the type of responses. Then someone will go, and by the way, I love you too. It's the fact is that we want to have these relationships, but we don't quite know to have, how to have them. So someone has to bite the bullet. Mm. Someone has to start the conversation of gravity. So if you're that person listening now that might be that ringleader, bring them all together and let them know how you feel and just go for it, you know. And if you're coming from a place of warmth and kindness and you're coming with that type of attitude, no one's – you might get a little bit of ribbing. But that's okay. Australians, that's what we're like. We, we, we find it hard to be living in that sort of uh, space where we're not taking the mickey or having a laugh and so forth. So take that on board and then to say, no, I'm sticking with this, guys, and let's go. Mm. I love the fact that with my mates we're doing something physical 
So we're just walking. We're not running around. So we're walking. It's more about my mental fitness. I'm never going to get, you know, super fit walking around where we walk. But for an hour and a half, I've got six or seven of my best mates and then we go and have a cup of coffee or have some breakfast. And if you're not feeling better after that, then you're probably not with the right group of people. Mm. Oh, I love this. I mean, I've, I've got my crew. I can think of each of their faces in my mind. We hang out, you know, very regularly. And um, it actually, I get fired up hearing you talk about it because it makes me think we don't know the significance of what we're doing in some yeah. ways. Having this group now that I think will be, you know, we're, we're all young dads and we're all, you know, time poor and we're in that stage where the, the risk of isolation has increased. You know, the responsibilities of, of work and home life um, can just kill your social life. But to know actually what we're doing here is it's not just a casual social commitment. This is actually the group that could protect us yeah. through decades and, exactly. and see us through, through those years. So that's awesome. And if you've got someone, don't take it for granted. Let them know how much you love them. Let them know what it means to you. You have that vulnerable moment. Build that deeper friendship with them. Don't just assume that everything's going to be okay because it won't mm. be. I mean, you're in your what, mid-20s now? I'm 30. Okay, so you're young. So well done for that. The thing is that you're going to lose mates up until you're 40 just because of life. You know, people are going to move away. There's going to be divorces in your friendship groups. Whatever it might be, you're going to lose a few no matter what. So you've got to hold on to the ones that you get and you're going to add some people to it. So it's a real moving, that 30 to 40. I'm 53 now, so I've had some movement and then I've come out the other side and fortunately have a really good bunch of mates. And they're all over the world too. So, you know, sometimes the time difference is a little bit difficult, but you've just got to make sure you look after these people. Mm. I remember talking to a guy at my 21st and I had like – 280 of my closest friends at my 21st, thinking they were all my best mates forever. Yeah. And Bob, his name was, he was an English guy. He was always a little bit negative. So I always sort of say, oh, glass half empty with you, Bob. And he, But he said to me, if you have five of these people when you're 50, five. So I'm, I'm sitting there, black tie, you know, having a great time, a few beers, and I'm looking around at 280 people. He goes, if you've got five of these people when you're 50, you'd be the luckiest man on the planet. And I do know what he means now. Mm. It does just happen. Life just takes over. Stuff gets thrown at you and all of a sudden people scatter, you know, for whatever reason. And it's not because they don't love you or that you couldn't have a great relationship. Just life takes over. So think of that, 280 down to five for me. I'm a little Mm. bit lucky. I've probably got a few more than five, but I know exactly what he means now. And what really it means to me is that don't take any of those relationships for granted. Mm. Make people know that you know that you love them. You know, yeah. I really, I'd much prefer to tell someone I love them a thousand times and then not to ever hear it from me, you know, and that might be a bit over the top, but well, that's just the way it is. I love it. I'm going to be sending a few text messages after this conversation. Great. So you got the, you got the t-shirt, you got the hat, gotcha for life. Yeah. Uh, did that come out of doing Man Up? Could you yeah. just share a bit about what gotcha for life is and yeah. the story of how it started? Of course. So at the end of Man Up, I thought, well, I've got to do something more than this. And I literally thought it was going to be like a, another show to start with. And then I went, okay, well, maybe there's a bloke called Tom Harkin, which you'll see in episode two of Man Up. And he is... A man whispery, someone that really builds a safe environment for people to have that conversation that we've been talking about. And I went, you know what? I want to make a thousand Tom Harkins. And I'm going to use whatever skills I have, whatever little black book, my media interests, I'm going to get a thousand of these. Well, five years on, I've got 14. 
it takes a long time. It needs a certain type of personality, certain amount of character to do the job, but we're getting there. We're building and we've been able to fundraise just over $6 million. Uh, all that goes to the prevention of suicide and anyone that works in that preventable space. So that to me is my life's work now because I think there's way too many people at the crisis point and not enough people at the preventable spots. So that's what we're doing now and anyone who works in prevention can you know, write to us and say, this is what I'm trying to do. Can you give us some support, whether that's money, whether it's marketing, whether that's promotions, whether that's advice, because I've got a lot of good people. So we, we're trying to help everyone in that sort of space. As many, as many people with the same type of attitude as us working together, we will get that suicide rate down. And I, I put it out there a few months ago that I want the suicide rate at zero because I think one is too many. So I know it's a huge call and the numbers are horrific, but you've got to have this target. You've just got to be working towards that all the time. And I think if you do find that gotcha for life friend that you can talk to about anything, warts and all, without any judgment, you are more likely to get through the stuff that, that life throws at you. So I'm trying to simplify it as much as I possibly can. And I know certain cases are much more complicated than that. But generally, I believe that uh, suicide is a death of loneliness and a lack of connection. And we need to work on that. And if we do, then we're more likely to get through stuff. I love it. It's inspiring stuff. One of the key parts of that is this idea of mental fitness. If we mm. build people's mental fitness, then they have the strength to be able to come out and say, man, I'm struggling with some stuff yeah. and they don't have to essentially die of loneliness um, and, and isolation. So the language mental fitness is great. Everyone should start using that. But what does that actually look like? Could you talk to us about what are some of the things that we can do to actually build mental fitness? Where does it come from? Yeah, well, to, to me it came off the back of actually being an ambassador at the Invictus Games and I talked to this beautiful lady from Canada that had lost her left arm in a, um, in a, in a bomb um, when she was helping. She was a part of their medics and she was a weightlifter. And very difficult to be a weightlifter when you've got one arm, but we wanted the Canadian lady to at least lift one lot, get the three green lights. I don't know if you remember in weightlifting, there's three judges there. You've got to get two out of three green lights for you to be able to say that you've lifted that particular weight. It just came up red, red, green. Green, red, red. We just couldn't get the two green. She couldn't quite hold it for long enough. And she was laughing and, and the competitor was sort of getting us to cheer and so forth. And eventually they gave her one more chance and she did it. I then interviewed her afterwards. I chatted to her about it and she spoke about mental fitness. And I just went, right, that makes total sense to me. So that's where I'm going to go with it. And I asked her if I could use it. She said, absolutely. That's where it first came from, which is an afternoon that I'll never forget. It really was beautiful. So I left Homebush that day and I thought, okay, well, how? What, what are some of the barriers that come up against when we're talking mental fitness and mental health and that type of stuff? And it's normally most people don't believe they've got such an issue to call it mental health. Mm -hmm. So as soon as they hear the word mental health, they don't think it actually is anything to do with them. And if you talk about mental illness, it just sounds full on. It sounds like you could die from it. You know, it just sounds big. And people go, I don't even want to put my mind there. So I'm, that's not me either. So how can we just take away the white coat, take away the medic, take away the clinical side of things and make it more normal. So that's where obviously we talk about mental fitness, people get it straight away and go, oh, what are some of the exercises for mental fitness? And it really is, can be as simple as changing a few of your habits. So I went away last month with Freddie Fittler, who's the 
people don't know, he's the coach of the New South Wales Rugby League team, state of origin. He says he doesn't allow any phones in his players' rooms because phones just take so much time away from you and it allows you to go to a place where you're not present. So no phones. When you wake up in the morning, you go to the toilet, you go sit back on your bed again, you drink a glass of water. You then breathe five seconds in, five seconds out for a minute. You then have been up only a couple of minutes, you've started to breathe, you've had your glass of water, you then get back off your bed and you make your bed. So at least you could have the worst day ever, at least your bed will be made at the end of that particular day. Then you walk down and then you start having a conversation with people without your phones because no one's got their phones. So the other players are there, the coaches, the, the support staff. So the first... 20 minutes of your day, you haven't touched your phone, you haven't checked TikTok, you haven't checked social media, you haven't checked in with anyone because your focus is on yourself and your team and getting to know your teammates and so forth. But that's a really simple process that the best athletes on the planet are doing. Mm. So why don't we do that? When I speak to schools, I go, who wakes up with the iPhone or the Samsung waking you up with your alarm? 95% of the hands go up. So I go, okay, well, no phones in your room, so how are you going to get up? They look around at each other and go, I don't know. There's a, there's a thing called an alarm clock. There's actually a clock which actually has like, you know, hands and so forth. Like you might be able to you look it up on Google it. It's revolutionary. <laughs> it really is. And people go, they go oh, we went to Wagga High School. The bloke from the Logger, Wagga Watch Shop, he sold 10 alarm clocks that afternoon. Kids are sponges. They mm. want to know this information. They want to change their life. They know there's a, a simpler, better process out there. So... If you show them, if you tell them, especially if someone who's a superstar to them, if James Tedesco, the number one rugby league player on the planet, says, I don't have my phone next to me on my bed, it's downstairs getting charged in a basket, Mm. you can absolutely guarantee that next night all those phones are in baskets. They're not by those people. So we need to simplify these processes and let people know, well, that's that's pretty simple. I can wake up with a glass of water, make my bed, do a little bit of breathing and not have my phone, well, that's going to make me mentally fit. Well, that's a good start. So that's a really good starting point. And then, of course, your physical fitness and your mental fitness are linked. So if you are moving a bit more and you're outside and you're having a bit of a run around, you're more likely to be mentally fit. So that's another tick. And then you go, well, what am I putting in my body? You know, the food that I put in there, you know, less of the processed stuff and more of the natural stuff. That all makes sense. So you start building a little bit of a... Mm a process for these youngsters and they get it. They haven't got alcohol at that stage and hopefully no drugs and so forth. But, you know, at, at some stage that they will be challenged by that and we need to not say you can't have this and you can't have that. We need to be able to say, you know what, have a couple. And if you have a couple, then that's enough. You need to be able to blend what life will throw at them into their mental fitness and allow them to keep moving on. So for me, there's some really simple exercises that that I do and that I've just spoken about, but then you add on top of that real conversation. Most people I speak to want to have a conversation, but they don't know how to have the conversation. They don't actually have the words. It's in your gut. You can't actually get the words out. I don't know if you've ever broken up with a girl or when you've had a really big family moment or a tragedy or something. So it's not running out of your nose and tears running out of your eyes and just don't know how to actually get the words out, we need to start having a few of those conversations. And that's where shift will come. But it's difficult because you're out of control and we don't like being out of control and we've been told all our life that we don't want to go there. Well, we're going to have to go there because the stats will tell us if we keep doing the same thing over and over again, we'll keep 
getting the stats we're getting. So it's up to us to put a line in the sand. People like yourself who are educated, who have got an opportunity with this podcast, work that I do in the media, other people who work in the preventable space, we should all be putting a line in the sand and saying, you know what, no more on my watch. Mm. And you look at the whole world and go, how can I possibly help the whole world? Well, just help your two sons for the time being, your wife, your father-in-law, your crew of five or six mates, you said you could see their faces, blah, blah, Mm. blah. Just start there. That's your village. You know that old saying, it takes a village to bring up a child? That's your village. So look after them. Give them the knowledge that you've got right now because some of them might want to hear it, may not want to hear it, have to hear it, whatever it might be. Sit them down and say, this is what it's all about and build that. Mm. Build that, um, that village. It takes a village to raise an adult, I've thought many times since uh, <laughs> a human <laughs> having Everyone. kids of my own. Yeah, yeah. far out. Um, oh, that's really good. Um, that made me feel really good actually because I do have my phone in a separate room and I start every day with a glass of water. I don't make my bed. So I've got some room for improvement, but there was also that's some the affirmation bit. in there. That's the easiest bit. You're doing all the hard stuff. No one wants to drink water first up in the morning, especially a proper glass, and um, no one really thinks about the breathing thing. But the fact you're doing you're doing the hard stuff, the easy stuff is just to sit as as you leave your room, sit. Especially now with dunas and mm. duvets and stuff, it's just a pull up jobby. Mm. So you'll be right. It's true, I'm, I'm sorted. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone's interested, actually, a book that really helped me is called uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear, and he talks about how you you know because we we shoot ourselves in the foot when we try to make too much change too quickly. Yeah. You know, someone isn't doing any of those things, and they try to do them all tomorrow. Yeah. They might do them tomorrow, and they might find they're doing none of them in a week. Yeah. So you got to pick the smallest sort of single next thing, work on that. He says, if you want to become a runner. Just focus on the habit of putting your running shoes on at the same time every day. That's all you got to focus on. That'll make you more likely to run and then you can start to kind of go for a two-minute run, that kind of thing. So, you know, start with a glass of water. If a full glass is too much, just have a little shot shot of water in the morning. Exactly. Get that habit rolling. That's right. I mean, someone told me once, try everything for five minutes. I was like, what are you talking about? They said, well, what are the things that we keep putting off? You know, whether it's paperwork or your tax or whatever – that conversation that you don't want to have but you know at some stage you have to, just start it for five minutes. Yeah. Five minutes is a long time. If you start your paperwork, five minutes in you go, you know what, might as well finish it. Mm. You know, five minutes into a conversation with someone and it's a difficult one, you don't want to have to have it again. Mm. So just get in the grind and get it done, you know. So start everything for five minutes is another really good bit of advice that I was always given. And, and also the other thing is that please don't think that you're alone when it comes to issues or problems or, or, or not or worrying about things, we've all got stuff and stuff that you're really good at, I might be struggling at and vice versa. We're just part of one big bumbling mm. society that are fumbling around in the dark most of the time. So don't take ourselves too seriously here and realise that we're all just doing the best we possibly can and that's okay yeah. because we're human. I sometimes think about how it's sort of like for some of us, and I think this would have been even even worse, you know, a generation back, but I was raised maybe with uh, like a Windows operating system and yet the expectations of the world now are that I kind of have a different operating system, maybe that I am an iOS sort of human. <laughs> um, and like I think this is harder for, you know, generations in the, gone by. So what would be your words of advice to someone who's raised with the software of the past and they're listening to this conversation, they're like, man, to change this, I'm going against like decades and yeah. decades of ingrained habits. Yeah. What's your words for that person? Yeah, well, firstly, own the fact that 
it's hard and it is hard. So don't think for a moment that, you know, everyone else is handling it or people that you think might be handling it or, or you might be listening to me for the last half an hour and go, well, he's got his shit together. Not at all. Um, I was exactly like that person before Man Up and it's taken me five years of living in this space, crying in this space, being emotional in this space to shift and I'm still shifting. There are still times where I get tired, where I'm not quite on form and I just shift straight back to that old operating system. It's just, that's just the template that I go back to, you know, I, I understand that. But the more you live in it, the more likely you are to change and the more like your habits will change. Getting a man to talk about his feelings when he's been told all his life just to man up and shut up, that's a difficult thing. Mm. So the fact that someone might turn up at a workshop and learn a few tricks to be able to perhaps have that conversation, that's, that's quantum leap stuff. So be proud of yourself if you're trying to make any sort of change. The thing is you're doing it not necessarily for yourself normally, you're doing it for some other person in your life from another generation. And so it's being selfless, I suppose, and realising that, you know, you've just got to change for the people that are around you to make their life as best as possible. People always say you're a better grandfather than you ever be a father. Well, this is your opportunity. You know, like I've said to my dad, he missed the boat, but it's not too late. He can be a great grandfather. He can give knowledge. He can tell stories. He can do fun stuff with his grandkids, you know, and he might have grand, great grandkids one day. Like mm. this is, this is, this life can give you all sorts of opportunity, but you've got to get out of your comfort zone at some time and go, you know what, it's, it's not just the way it is. You can actually change stuff and that's hard work. Mm. Um, but acknowledging that it's hard work is one thing and then get into the grind and get it done. Love it. Well, Gus, it's been awesome chatting. I want to just hit you with the last few kind of rapid fire type questions. Sure. Just the kind of one sentence, you know, sort of gut answer <clears throat> to these. What is one essential part of your daily routine that does build that mental fitness, like a non-negotiable thing that you do every day? I kiss my wife three times. It's, it's, it's a lock for both of us. We can't get on up with our day unless we kiss, kiss each other three times. And we're not talking big pashes with the tongues flashing around we're like we're 53 now we don't do that type of stuff but it's like a proper cuddle and it's three kisses on the cheek or on the forehead or something just to it's like our way of saying right we're going into the world again you know and we've got each other's back you know and I'm very lucky that I've got a partner who works at Cotcha for Life with me she runs all the all the partnerships so she's totally invested and when I'm away for weeks at a time doing these chats and you know, I'm exhausted and she doesn't get a lot out of me, she gets it. So that to me is an absolute lock. Mm. Um, There's many actual locks, but that's probably the number one. Awesome. Uh, Single sentence you would say to your 18-year-old self if he was sitting here right now. Ah, I was taught by my grandfather that you could do anything as long as you believed in it. But people used to say, oh, you're just like your grandfather. He could sell ice to Eskimos and all that type of, you know, you've probably heard those phrases in the past. But I've never been able to sell anything unless I believed in it. And I think Grandad was absolutely hit the nail on the head. He goes, you can sell anything as long as you believe in it, son. So that probably is why I'm so committed and passionate to what I'm doing now because it's helped me so much, the knowledge that I've got in the last five years since Man Up. My son's better off from it. My daughter's boyfriends are better off from it. My mates are all better off from it. And there's just no way I could have had this same feeling that I have and the change that we've had if it was BS. You know, being open, honest and vulnerable is the best thing I've ever 
ever ever come across and and I just totally believe in that as long as you've got the right people the village around you to help you when you no doubt have some wobbly times mm. all right now the 80 year old version of yourself is sitting <laughs> next to you what would you like him to say to you keep going keep going I truly think feel like we're on the right path here I I, I know it's a huge call the zero suicide call but why not have that huge call you know mm. I want your sons you know your little boys now that just adore you and just they're so innocent and sweet. I want them to be able to walk in 10 years' time in after school having a tough day and say, hey, Dad, I had a real tough day today. Mm. And you'd be able to sit down and help them and not necessarily have all the answers, but they're not going to their room worrying alone with their afternoon tea. Mm. You know, And that's exactly what's happening pretty much everywhere around the world right now yep. because we don't know how to have those conversations. So let's just keep going, educate ourselves to have those conversations that will allow us not to worry alone. And if you don't worry alone and you've told someone about how you're feeling and then surely we're a better chance mm. of getting through the crap that life throws at you. Have you got a book or podcast or film recommendation that you'd want everyone to go watch or listen to? When it comes to that type of stuff, um, I tend to try to get away from the work that I'm doing because it is so emotional. But I just just did see Penguin Bloom, which is out at the moment in cinemas, and um, I had the absolute thrill of interviewing Sam, the lady who that movie was made about after the movie last Sunday. Penguin Bloom is just a beautiful, takes the tissues, but please go to mm. see it. And your kids would even like it because there's animals and magpies and they'll get it. It's beautiful. And The Second Mountain is a book that Hugh Jackman, my best mate, um, sent me the other day. I think I've heard of that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Name drop, sorry. But Jacko was saying he thinks that I'm an a good example of a second mountain, sort of, you know, when you think you've got something out of life and you think, okay, I'm cruising along here and all of a sudden you get to that mountain and you go, you know what, there's a bigger one over there and I might have a crack at that. Really it's about, um, you know, never closing yourself off to anything and realising that there's a lot more of the world and it's a much bigger place than we could ever imagine. So just keep going for it, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Your recommended next step for the listeners of this podcast. So look at your group of mates and say which one of those that you can talk to about anything. If it then ends up being more than one in your friendship group, even better. But please don't be worrying alone. So you've got to find that one person where you just get that little bit deeper with. But it normally means you have to have a proper conversation. It's not over a beer. It's normally walking or driving somewhere, grab a cup of coffee and you just say, hey, mate, I've got to the stage now in my life where I'm feeling a little bit Money at times, and I just want to be able to talk to you about that. Is that cool? Just start that conversation that way. And some people struggled with that, so text them. Send them an email. Write them a letter. Whatever it is, just let someone know that you want to have a slightly stronger friendship with them than perhaps others, mm-hmm. and don't hesitate. I say to young kids in schools, write down a list of all your mates and circle a couple of them and tell them, is, is he the guy that you could talk to, warts and all, without any judgment? Well, if you do, go and get that relationship sorted out now because you will have life throw stuff at you and you want to be able to have those relationships locked in so you're not doing it on the fly. Mm. Final question. I want you to finish these two sentences for me, however you want to finish them. Okay. The first one is, I am... Passionate about building mental fitness in Australia. Awesome. And lastly, we are... We are stronger together. Beautiful. A coalition. You, me... And about another 100 people that I've worked with in the last five years, if we're all doing what we're doing, surely we're stronger than off off out there doing stuff individually. So let's get these coalitions together, talking the same type of stuff and make it the way it should be. 
rather than perhaps the way it was built. Awesome. Thanks so much, Gus. My pleasure. This podcast has been proudly brought to you by the Central Coast Council and produced by Lead by Story. Music is by Josh Corkill with editing and mixing from Rowan Parry. I'm your host, Will Small. If you got value out of this conversation, then give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone you think would benefit from it. We get to decide what it means to be a man in the places we find ourselves. So let's make it kind, compassionate and strong. Catch you next time on Mankind.